Hey guys, as coders and billers, we get it. Healthcare compliance can be a hassle, inconvenient, and a headache that never goes away. That's why they've developed EpiCompliance, an easy-to-use software that helps you stay up-to-date and on track with ever-changing requirements of healthcare compliance. This cloud-based software covers HIPAA, privacy and security, OSHA, and the ACA, OIG, Medicare, Waste, Fraud, and Abuse compliance requirements. It includes forms, policies, tasks, and mandated compliance training, all in one easy-to-use interface. Do you need to send and organize your business associate agreements to your clients? You can do that with EpiCompliance through their Business Associate Center. And most importantly, in our profession, EpiCompliance covers you with billing and coding for waste, fraud, and abuse compliance. Don't risk getting on the CMS, HHS, OIG list of excluded individuals and entities, which is a permanent record on the internet. Ready to stay up to date and compliant every month with EpiCompliance? You have to do it. Did I mention it's required by law? You might as well do it right with EpiCompliance. Right now, Life as a Coder podcast listeners can save 20% on their subscription by visiting epicompliance.com forward slash Ozark and using the discount code Ozark20. That's epicompliance.com forward slash O-Z-A-R-K and use the discount code Ozark20. That's O-Z-A-R-K-2-0. Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello, this is Jennifer McNamara, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series. Today, our program is brought to you from our friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our disclaimer, as always, is that our podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and we want to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. Today is episode 11. We're here in September, finally. In our first episode this month, we're going to be interviewing one of my favorite people, Betty Hovey of Compliant Healthcare Solutions, and of course, she's one of our speakers at our virtual healthcare summit this year. But because of her knowledge and our discussions together on evaluation and management, we decided to come together and just have a little chit chat. We're going to talk about evaluation and management 2021, as well as some of the updates coming in 2023. Yes, there's more coming at us. So let's chat with Betty today and talk more about interpretation of the 2021 guidelines and let's have some fun. So today we have a special treat, as mentioned, we have Betty Hovey. I'm so excited to have you here, Betty. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you very much. I'm real happy to be here. So I'm just like thrilled we became connected. And of course, first of all, when I was 
searching for speakers for our upcoming uh, virtual conference, our charity event every year. You, of course, volunteered, and we're so glad you're going to be joining us and joining me for a special presentation on helping others to master the CCS exam with the HEMA, the Certified Coding Specialist exam. We're going to talk about PCS coding, and we're going to talk about, of course, uh, all those inpatient things. But I wanted to talk to you today because you have such a wealth of knowledge and a lot of my listeners, I get so many questions on evaluation and management. And of course, I have talked till I'm blue in the face. I've, I've done webinars, I've done podcasts, and I think I've given enough information out there. But I think it'd be great for someone uh, to hear your take on things. You've been in the industry a long time, over 30 years in the healthcare fields. Some of the things I love about your history is you work for Karen Zupko and Associates as a senior healthcare consultant. I love that because I use Karen a lot. Um, I love her webinars. I, of course, worked in specialties where I've needed her, her uh, website and her guidance from her consultants, such as yourself. So what was that like working for, for Karen Zupko? It was very, uh, very exciting. You know, had a great group of consultants, you know, colleagues that I worked with there and um, always had fun at the national workshops that we did um, and, and, you know, going around and, um, you know, going to Nashville and Vegas and, you know, uh, getting in a few good shows with the ladies while we were out in Vegas. Um, so it was it was really good. And but I kind of got the itch to, um, you know, have my own have my own company again. So, um, of course, I made the great decision just as this shut at home order came in so you know it was kind of slow going at the beginning but um you know now now things are are picking up and and uh, i'm you know enjoying uh getting out to educate again and starting to be able to speak and that's one of the reasons why i was real excited to um be invited to speak at the virtual summit um because i i think one not only is it uh good information good education and good people but uh, you also have the charity component in there and i think that that's great and it makes me you know even want to um show up uh for attendees even more excellent excellent well i'm glad you know we, we started this last year because of the whole uh, you know, pandemic and, you know, coders that would go to a virtual conference or live conferences like HealthCon, you know, th that was mm -hmm. the first year it was virtual, all virtual. And it was kind of a hard thing to, to figure out. And, you know, people that like to go to Karen Zuko conferences, that was, you know, not a, a possibility. And so a lot of us consultants out there, I'm sure you would agree, we had to find a way to bring the information to people in a way they could still benefit, but also, um, you know, feel safe. And, and so that's what we did it for. We decided to make it a charity event, not only to coders by making it really inexpensive to get inexpensive CEUs, but also to donate to directrelief.org, which we've picked that as our charity. They, they actually donate to so many really great causes. So um, that's who we donate to every year. And we'll be doing that again this year. This year, I'm excited. Of course, we have some physician speakers. And I know uh, both of us are excited to hear from them. And it's going to be great. And uh, another thing I wanted to point out, too, is because we're talking about ICD-10, you worked for AAPC as the director of ICD-10 education and training. That's really great. And so I feel like every time we, we talk with you, it's going to be an exciting thing we learn because of your, your knowledge and information. But today, we are talking about evaluation and management. In your estimation, how important is evaluation and management training, especially in 2021? Uh, I, I think it's it's critical. 
Um, you know, we we have spent years, decades, you know, going through the uh, 95 and 97 guidelines, and there are people that still don't have those straight. You know, it's very it's very complex for something that seems so simple, um, which is where I, I get people when, when the 2021 guidelines were previewed and they started coming out saying, hey, they're coming. You know, I had a lot of people that said, oh, well, you know, we'll just do it by time then. And I'm like, well, you know, it's it's not going to be that simple. Or, oh, no, you know, it's just MDM now. So that'll be, I said, okay, it's not going to be that easy. And then the pandemic hit. So then you had that problem. And so people thought, I think, with like with ICD-10, how we kept getting ready and then it kept getting put off and then it kept getting put off. I think some people had the notion that the same thing was going to happen with the 2021 changes to E&M. And I kind of reminded people that, you know, this is in the federal register, you know, so it is in stone and they are not going to hold up because of the pandemic. You really, really need to be ready. And, um, it, it, people weren't. And so then when they tried to go, oh, it's kind of simple and they would go look at it and then you'd start, but what about this? And where does this go? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, uh-oh, you know, um, I have some courses that I have on the 2021 guidelines where I have like a train the trainer course. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I did my first one, a couple of the ladies had made comments. And as we started getting into it, they said, you know, at first I thought to myself, it's a 12 hour course and she I said at first I thought how are we going to do this for 12 hours and she said but then once we started it and started getting into the you know what if things um then they were like oh wow and I was like yes I said it, it's a lot more complex when you start to break pieces down um and try to make them fit into the different areas that you realize people really need extra education on this um, you know, I, I've educated physicians on them by doing, you know, like physicians, you, there's no way you're getting physicians for 12 hours, you know, so with, the <laughs> exactly. physicians, <laughs> with physicians, we would do like one to three hour kind of, uh, zoom calls, you know, uh, and tried to hold their attention and show them the meats of the documentation. So I think that's a critical thing also in, um, the, the consultant side of it or the educator side of it is really, really think about your audience, because if you're talking to a coder or another auditor, you're going to be giving them different kinds of spin or view on things. than if you're talking to the physicians with the physicians, I don't get into the nitty gritty me. I, I talk to them about documentation, documentation, mm -hmm. documentation, and how what they say translates into fitting over into the new, you know, 2021 guidelines. So um, you really have to hit them and hit them and hit them with physicians, you know, because old habits die hard. You know, they they need to see it. I, I use their own cases when I teach them because it's their patients. And so they look at them and like, oh, you know, that I just saw that guy two weeks ago. And so it makes it easier for them to remember it. But, you know, you really have to kind of keep touching on it and keep touching on it for them to get it consistently or have tools um, for them to where they have something to kind of fall back on until it becomes more second nature. Absolutely. I just love it. That's 
such great information. And I know, um, I don't know if you attended HealthCon 2021 in Dallas, um, either virtually or in person. I was there in person speaking. And I remember just that general session we had with Ray Marie from the AAPC. And it was so great to hear all of that from the AAPC and all the research they've, they've gone into to doing this. And um, when I was there, I was surprised at a lot of the questions that I got uh, that you, you're surprised sometimes when you know that some people out there don't actually pay attention to updates. Yes. We had just gotten the March 9th update of the technical corrections to those new guidelines, uh, March 9th. And then of course the, the conference was the end of March. And so some were just not aware that they had made changes. And so it was so nice that they, of course, were clarifying those things for us. And a lot of the FAQs that were, they're popping up address some of those questions that people have from the beginning, even myself, you know, I was thinking this makes sense, but I'm not quite sure if I'm interpreting this correctly. Have you heard? Now the CCS exam is available without restrictions. Now is a great time to jumpstart your coding career with one of the most popular certifications in the country. The majority of employers require a CCS credential and at Ozark Coding Alliance, we're here to help you achieve this goal. Join our workshop this July for only $129 and earn five CEUs. You can register at ccscoder.com. And so it was nice to have those updates. And from my standpoint, when I think about it, I've always loved MDM. In mm-hmm. in EM leveling, that was my favorite part because it really was the meat, as we say in risk adjustment, right? <laughs> it was right, the, the right. meat of the <laughs> of the of the article or the uh or the note, because that's where everything is. Everything they do, the history they take, the exam they do, it's all to find out what they're gonna do for that patient. Yes. And everything comes together at the end. And yes, yes. we still need, right? And a medically appropriate yep. exam in history. Like the physicians, I don't know if they've asked you this, but they asked me, do I still have to document an EM and or an uh, exam and a history? Yeah, yes, all the you time. Do. <laughs> yes, you all do. All the time. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I tell them, I'm sure you do too. It's like we understand that it's a burden for you, all the documentation, but in order for you to come to the conclusion you're coming to, we need to know that you took a medically appropriate history. We need to know what the patient's telling you when they come in. We have to see that exa- those exam pieces to know you're examining these body areas, these organ systems in order to tell us, yes, yes. I'm going to prescribe this. I'm going to order this. And it would make sense, right? And so what do you see in that area? What, what do you come across? Well, um, one of the things that I started telling uh, the physicians when I work with them was remember that it's still evaluation and management coding. It's not just management coding. Right. So, you know, they still need to show the evaluation. So they need to give you know, a little bit of history, but it doesn't have to be the checks 300 boxes kind of stuff anymore, counting things up. So what, what I, I was speaking at a local chapter at the beginning of the year um, in uh, South Dakota for their um, uh, state chapter conference. And I was speaking on the 2021 guidelines. And um, one of the officers, because uh, I have to give credit where credit is due, because you know we all do the old, you know, if you don't document it, it wasn't done kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, she had said, I, I said, you know, some physicians would get offended by that and say, are you telling me you don't believe me that I, you know, <laughs> and I was like, no. So I started saying, if you don't document it, I can't give you credit for it, which then is saying, I know you did it, but, you know, we need to prove it kind of thing. Right. And one of the officers said, well, I tell the doctors, um, ink what you think. 
And so I was like, that is wonderful. I am going to use that everywhere. I love that. I know. I said, I will give you credit though, because, you know, hey, you know, and, but I, so that is what I've been kind of going now. Just, just tell the little story. You have to, what are you thinking? You know, it could be these nine different things, you know, so, you know, that's where you're showing um, uh, your complexity of your patient, because you also hear from physicians that their patients are the worst and they always see the most complex and everybody sends them stuff they can't figure out. And so, you know, they, you know, all kind of thing, like, you know, my patients are the worst kind of thing. Um, and I said, well, if you look at your claim form, there's one diagnosis on there. So I would never guess that about your patient, <laughs> you know? So you, you have to tell the whole story. You have to get those comorbid conditions, especially with HCCs. You know, I push mm-hmm. that on them too, is that, you know, you need to show complexity here now if you're seeing them for hypertension, mm-hmm. but you're looking at different medications because they're also diabetic. They also have CHF. You need to say those things because that then shows that complexity in that patient. So you've got to, you know, ink what you think, tell the whole thing, all the things you're thinking about. Since I told them, since you're saving time now by not having to do all that stuff up in the history and the physical, you know, when you get to your medical decision-making, you really need to suck that stuff in there. So what are those differential diagnoses? What are those comorbid conditions? What are all those things that you're considering? If this test is positive, then we're going to do this. But if it's negative, then I've got this and this. You know, instead of just thinking it, it's got to get into the medical record now because that's what the concentration is and that's it. You can't rely on a complex history and a complex exam anymore to say, well, that's a five and mm-hmm. you know, not worry about what you put in your MDM, um, which I never was of that. I was always like, you should always count MDM as one of those two. Absolutely. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But for other, some places, they would really kind of use that as a crutch to say, Mm -hmm. well, they had all that information there, you know, and now they're having to shift it into the MDM. So they really are having to put down their thought processes. Absolutely. I think that's where some of the issue with the physicians come because the story is the story. It's what somebody else said. Somebody's just writing it down. Their exam's their exam. There's either a lump there or there's not. There's a rash there or there's not. Right. But when you get to your MDM, now the physician or other, you know, QHCP is having to actually put down their thought processes. And I think that's why, you know, for some of them, their MDMs a little bit shorter because they're not exactly, you know, the best at doing that or they're thinking about their next patient. You know, um, so uh, I really try to work hard with them about getting that documentation um uh, improved in that thing to support the levels that they are doing so that they get the payment that they should be getting paid and not have to give any of it back. Absolutely. I, I just think that's so it's such great information. And yeah, provider education is great. Yeah, they're coming from a place where, yeah, they were, oh, I got eight organ systems. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I did this, this, and this. And, and yeah, and even my GI providers, you know, sometimes it was difficult with the new colonoscopy LCDs that came out. They were used to ordering a colonoscopy for abdominal pain. Now they can't just do that. They have to be very detailed and it has to come in there because that's driving the reimbursement, uh, things like that. But when it comes to the documentation for 2021, I know 
if you look at those that errata, they highlighted in blue those areas that people kept asking about. And for the most part, it was the data, wasn't it? It was the data sections that were really um, honed in on for the for the updates because they needed to clarify things. So to me, all the questions I kept getting from people was, was the data. The problems, the definitions that they gave us were pretty straightforward, understandable. Although they're gonna vary by specialty, right? You're, you're gonna have different conditions for different specialties. But when it comes to that data, what do you feel is the takeaway from that section? I think the biggest thing in the in, in the data section was when people weren't understanding the how they could count things because that is so different than mm-hmm. how we used to count things, you know, and how we still count things for any non office visit outpatient you know, level, anything that's not the 99202 through 99215, you know, so uh, when you were saying, and and that I think too, is when I work with the coders and auditors, I'm like, okay, now when you're doing hospital stuff, though, you have to remember if they do order 12 x-rays, it's still just one point. But if you're talking about in the office and it's 12 mm-hmm. different CPT codes, then you get to count at 12, which is still way more than you ever need. But, you know, right. um, so it's that's where that hard part is coming for from those of us that are uh, on the auditing and coding side and physicians that have been taught over and over and over again that I don't care how many you do. That's why you can just say ordered labs, you know, before and people would accept it because, you know, they said they did it you know, there's a one point they're done. But now if you say ordered labs, well, okay, how many orders, how many labs did you Mm -hmm. order? What kind of labs did you order? Is it a panel or is it separate labs? You know, um, so that was kind of the, the, one of the things that was holding people up was in um, when they would say labs now, now how do I count it? I, it said it was more than one. And I was like, well, yeah, but it could be six of them that make one panel so even though they say labs, it still could just be one. So, I mean, just saying labs, you can't tell mm-hmm. any, but they have to be more specific. Yes, you know, put um, the order in there. Give us those orders. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and then with the um, the independent historian kind of thing with giving, you know, I've been at some places where uh, I worked uh, with the pediatric facility and they said um, by the nature of our specialty, you know, because, you know, we're pediatrics, we always have to talk to an independent historian. So we never take credit for it. And that, that always struck me. I was like, well, okay. So you're saying by nature, it's harder and you don't want to take credit for it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't kind of, you know, so there was questions, you know, that were pervasive from then that I think the AMA did give a good job of saying, yes, the parent counts. Yes, yeah. that, you know, I mean, it, it, you should be, again, it's making your visit more complex because you can't ask a six-month-old, where does it hurt? Right. You know, I mean, everybody's guessing, including the parent that's telling you they seemed fussy. They seemed like they were in pain. Well, how do they know? You know, um, so 
it's it's things like that that I think the AMA when they came out with that errata did a pretty good job of. Um, and even at the symposium, I attend the CPT symposium every mm-hmm. year in Chicago. And at the symposium for 2021, a lot of the things that they put out in the errata came up there. So I was really glad that I attended the symposium that year because they did a couple sessions on the ENM changes and on you know the explanations of what things would mean and and leading to you know the errata that we got mm-hmm. so i kind of got ahead of the game knowledge um in on some of these things with the data uh, you know that that um the test interpretation thing is is as it always was so i'm like you know if you're doing it yourself reading it yourself and then the whole thing came in with but if you're billing separately for the test or your um, tax ID is billing for the test, if somebody in the practice is billing for it, you shouldn't be billing for interpreting it, even if it's at a later visit, then I think that part is is still kind of hard for people to kind of get into is that whole area of when can we and when can we not count in, um, you know, reviewing tests. Uh, and, and I think that's the one thing today mm-hmm. that I still go over and over and over with people. Yes. I, I know. You find the same yeah, thing. Absolutely. And it's, it's always one that comes back to back to it. But when I talk to them, I say, go back to your table. And I know there's a lot of audit sheets out there now. Some of them are really confusing to my eyes. Yes. So I'm just, I'm an old school girl. I like my original audit sheets and I like the table the AMA has put out. So I like to print those, laminate them, dry erase marker it. It's super mm-hmm. easy for me. I know exactly where to put stuff. So for me, I said, go back to that, go back to that original table where the, the fours are, for instance, notice what it says mm-hmm. under independent interpretation. It says in parentheses, not separately reported. That means if you are going to use category two, you are not going to be able to use that if it's also a test that you are going to report on a claim form that day you're already getting paid for it. Why would you double dip that way? Why would you expect them to pay for you that service as well as pay for it in the E&M level? You're already getting paid for it. Same for the category three. It says not separately reported. And that's what that means. But if they get lost, I say, just, just go back up, <laughs> go to your definitions. <laughs> They're all there for you. It's yeah. like guidelines. And that's the one thing I did like about the change to the guidelines uh, this year was them adding all those definitions. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a fabulous idea. Excellent. Because that was really it with the MDM. I think so many people got so, you know, bogged down with all of the different items on there. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And yes, the ambiguity of some of the terms on the risk table, um, you know, that we use for 95, 97. That, yes. that information is still there. And most of that information has been carried over and means very similar things yes. in, in, in 2021. We just have to know how to apply it. But as a surgical coder, that's my world for so many years. Yes. I was so excited for them to actually tell us the surgery, minor, major, elective emergency and so forth from a clinical standpoint. It made so yes. much sense, didn't it? I mean, <laughs> Yes. When you think yes. about it, it's like, we're yes. not Medicare. We're not talking about globals. We're talking about yes. a risk to that patient. And I think at, yes. at HealthCon, they, they honed that in. They probably did it at the AMA conference too, yes. that it's about, there's risk to everything, right? We're not talking yes. about the risk that every surgery has. What is the risk to that patient? 
Are they diabetic? Yes. Hypertension, C CHF, CKD. What is the issue? What do you think about that? Yeah, with and that goes back to the whole telling the whole story there. You know, those are the kind of factors we're looking for. Uh, but I, I think um, uh, that's one of the things with the major minor um, that is going to be one of those areas where in some cases, um, you know, practices may be kind of duking it out with the payers a little bit um, because from the payer, they're trying to be more clear cut. And of course, they're just going to go with Medicare's globals, um, you know, and just go, oh, well, there's a zero day global to that. So, I, you know, that's not a major surgery, you know, um, but I work with dermatology um, as one of my specialties that I like to, to get involved with and help. And I um, work with most surgeons and most surgery where you are eradicating a uh, cancerous tumors and things from patients' faces and eyelids mm -hmm. and neck, you know, and you keep going and going until there's no more cancer to where maybe you have to do like a flap or a graft to, to close it because it was so big, mm -hmm. but there's zero global days to that. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, and I, I, the most surgeons were just like, well, well, goodness, I'm glad somebody else thinks that that's a major surgery because, you know, we just never got that. Um, so it is things like that where, um, you know, coders, auditors, physicians, especially, you know, have an understanding of that type of risk, whereas the payors, because they have to program something into the software, you know, it, it has to come down to, to data numbers and, you know, there's no way they're, they're, they aren't going to be able to look at, of course, every piece of paper, you know, if we did paper claims, not only would it put everything to a standstill, mm -hmm. um, you know, so they have to use some kind of criteria so they go with Medicare. So I also tell people if that's where your risk for the procedure is like your physician is considering it major, you know, I tell people to make sure they put that in their policies and procedures mm -hmm. where these certain things have zero or 10 global days, according to the CMS guidelines, but it is considered a major procedure because of these risk factors. And then if you're using that criteria to help and level your services, and a payor maybe considers that as overcoded, then you could present your policies and procedures with that think, thinking in there and uh, help support the fact that, you know, that's what that means. And also the AMA material that also backs that up and says major minor does not mean global mm -hmm. days as in the Medicare scale. So people have to kind of know where to have those resources to, you know, be able to back it up when a payer asks for it and to be able to, to kind of, you know, push back and make sure they get paid appropriately. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I like, I'm a definitions girl. I always talk about that in my podcast episode. People know this about me that I love definitions. And so when this happened, I was like, I'm going to go back to the definition. I'm going to look up the definition of minor versus major surgery from a clinical standpoint. And mm -hmm. it was amazing to me because even for like, you know, a, a minor procedure uh, or sorry, something that's considered major 90 day global, it could be considered minor because it's non-invasive or right. the, the healing time is less because of the technology they're using. 
Um, yep. But if they do an open procedure, you're opening body cavities. There's a risk for infection. Um, mm -hmm. You have to leave, put a drain in there. You know, all this kind right, of stuff right. makes it more complex because the risk for infection, the risk to get a staph infection, for instance, all of the things that happen in, in a hospital that could put them at a higher risk, right? So like, that's yep. what I think of. And the other thing I've been going around and around with my physicians for years about is the whole with and without identified risks. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. they just don't want to give it to me. And I just, I just say, well, you are hurting yourself a little bit because you are needing to give me something because here's the deal. This says it's an elective major surgery with risks or without risks. If you don't tell me what the risks are to that patient, and I mean that patient, <laughs> that mm -hmm. specific patient you're talking about, then I can't give you credits for this higher level. So it's not yep. like, I mean, I, I know, you know, it's a risky procedure, but tell me why, tell me why right. it's risky for this patient. And I will give you credit for it. Yes. And, and I think that's one of the places too, where, um, your, uh, EMRs can be helpful, mm -hmm. um, in just giving them an open text template to say risk with a question mark, and, you know, a yes or no. And if they check yes, have it blank for them to fill it in. That way it is different for each patient, unique to each patient. Absolutely. You know, and they can't say it's just generalizing there. It's a template. They're just checking a box off. No, they're not. You know, there is, it's being filled in to be specific to that patient. Um, so it matches. And then again, would support, um, you know, whatever E&M level you're trying to support. Um, yeah, because sometimes with the, with the physicians and the other providers, once you've like talked and talked and talked to them, they finally get it, but then it's, oh, I forgot. And, oh, I forgot. And, you know, every time you say, oh yeah, I forgot it then too. You know, so if you can use the EMRs, but use them smartly to where you're not over templating, um, to where it's cookie cutter. That's the problem. We want to stay away from that. So give them the yes, but then give them the blank line that they have to fill in with the why, um, Absolutely. you know, so that way all the information's there. Now, let me ask you this. I know in 95, 97, we had some examples in the straightforward and low section. We don't have those in 2021. Um, but a lot of consultants I talked to are still recommending to use those examples because they still are valid, uh, for those areas. Uh, but again, they're just examples, right? So we're not going to be trusting them as a full inclusive list. There's other things that could fall in there. What do you tell your physicians or what do you tell other coders that ask about, you know, how do I know which risk to put it in if, if it's not in the example list? <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. Well, what I try to do is, is I do, if you one technically, I, you know, always go with the, okay, technically here's what it is. And then here's how it works, you know, but technically, if you look at what the guidelines in the CPT manuals book say for the E&M guidelines is that we are not allowed to mix and match mm -hmm. old guidelines versus new. So by strict Mm -hmm. technical guideline, we are not supposed to take those examples out of the 9597 and use them over here um, into the new 2021. Uh, so, you know, I always throw that out there Excellent first. Point. So nobody can say, Betty said, <laughs> I'm always like, no, no, no. So, so first I, but then I say, but, but let's take a look at this. Like in reality, if you look at the moderate in the 2021 and the examples and look at the moderate in the 95, 97 in the examples, 
you know, they're pretty much the same thing. So, um, but I say they, they are just examples. Yes. You know, uh, it's just something to where you can kind of think of things that are likened that, okay, now I see that would kind of fit in there. Mm-hmm. Because what I would get from physicians a lot would be like, huh, I look at this and it says in the old, you know, guidelines where under low, it would say over the counter medication. Mm-hmm. And then it would say minor surgery, you know, so they said, so they're saying that telling the patient to take some Advil <laughs> is the same as me doing a surgical procedure. You know, I'm like, no, 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 that's not what they're saying. You know, I said, it's just kind of like those like things with the risk to the patient with a minor procedure you know, there's not by, by intent of it, calling it a minor procedure, it's not a a huge risk to that patient. Now, if they have other comorbid underlying things, well, now you're talking about risk factors, which is what we were just talking about a minute ago, you and I, Jennifer, you know, so now that would raise it up. But if you don't have those things, it's kind of like an easy peasy little closure kind of thing. And when the, you do that, you say, oh, you can take some Motrin, take some Advil, you know, when you get done with this so that, you know, it, it, it you shouldn't feel, um, you know, too bad, you know, kind of versus you had a, an open, you know, appendectomy and you've got, or a procedure where you've got staples in your chest where, you know, yeah, you're going to be a little more uncomfortable actually that, you know, <laughs> and the risk there is a little bit bigger. So um, they just try to group them. So when you look at now under the 2021, you know, we have those moderate examples of prescription drug management and then the um, decision for minor surgery with risk factors. So I kind of say, all right, so if you're looking at prescription drugs, you have to think of many more things. What other drugs are they taking? Do they interact together? What are their comorbid conditions that they may have that may cause some issues? So you have to give them a different medication because they're hypertensive. They can't take this one or they're diabetic. So they can't take that one. You know, there's a little bit more involved in it. Absolutely. Well, same thing with a minor procedure with risk factors. It's not just you know, I'm going to do an intermediate repair here. It's I'm going to do an intermediate repair, but they're a smoker, they're diabetic. So now we've got wound healing issues that may arise. So I have to do more. So I said, anytime you can add on a layer, like a, but, but they <laughs> yes. also this or, but yes. they, then, you know, that's kind of where they're categorizing things, you know, so the bigger, the, but <laughs> you know, uh-huh. the higher, the level, um, you know, so uh, that that's kind of, you know, where, where I try to tell people is just kind of think of different things. And then sometimes we play like a, you know, a what if game. So I would take, you know, a bunch of students or a bunch of other coders or auditors when we talk about things and say, okay, let's throw some things out there and let's all kind of see where we think these things would fit and why. And it's a really fun thing to do because it gives a lively discussion and you get a lot of information that maybe outside of your specialty, somebody would say, yeah, but 
if the yeah. patient was what you know had RA rheumatoid arthritis, then they'd have to do this. And you know, you're wow, you know, so you can learn a lot of things. You know, in fact, that you know, Jennifer, maybe you know, a session we could do somewhere is just like bring all your what ifs and you know, yeah. you could just have an hour of talking about it. I mean, I it, it's really fun to do. That sounds um, fun. That sounds great. You yeah. know, um, actually. Uh, at the end of September, we are going to, I'm doing a free E&M event. So uh-huh. it's going to be kind of like, we have a lot of people joining on Zoom. Um, so you're welcome to join me again, if you want to come for that and just yeah. join the discussion, it'd be kind of fun. And um, it's a free event I'm doing because I get so many questions and I'm like, you know, I could answer all these emails or I could just uh-huh. do this once and break mm-hmm. down every single guideline. We're going to go, we're going to do we're an hour and a half. I don't know how I'm going to get it all in an hour yeah. and a half, but but we're going to do 95, 97 and 2021. I'm going to break up the differences and definitions and get down to the nitty gritty. I think you'll enjoy it. So maybe you can join me for that. That'd be fun. Right. And uh, sure. yes, great. Definitely. And there's a lot of things, you know, I want to talk about, but it's like, we only have so much time in the day. Right. So yeah, and we could spend hours right talking about E&M. Uh, I but definitely what, could. <laughs> absolutely. Same here. It's one of my favorite things. And I know I hear people, they're like, I can't, I just don't get it. And a lot of students, students is their, their most, the bane of their existence when it comes to that yeah. exam. And the purpose of my, of my um, free event that I'm doing is of course, for students, those that aren't yes. certified yet, they, that, that part of the exam just scares them. And it, does, it scared yeah. me when I went yeah. back in 2000, the year 2000, I remember my very first Carol Buck step-by-step coding book that I had yes. and the year 2000, it was on it craziness uh, so long ago, but that just like all of those rules, all of those ins and outs. I was like, are you kidding me? I have to know all this. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then over time, of course it got easier, but for those students, they're just, they're terrified of it. And so the new changes are like, well, how do I know this? And when do I use this? And it's, it can get confusing. So we're going to do that. Talk about examples from a basic level. I I don't want to do an advanced lesson that we could do, but we're going to do a more Mm -hmm. basic approach um, to talk to them. Um, But, you know, and physicians have to realize too, more changes are coming and we don't want to scare them too much, but I know you and I wanted yeah. to talk about this today is those 2023 yes. changes that were mentioned in the February update. Uh, so what do you think uh, about the new updates, the new proposed changes for 2023? Uh, well, I, I think that um, when they did these for 2021 and the whole time they were putting the stuff out there for the federal register and the proposed state, and they always said that we're just starting, <laughs> you know, they never said, they never said this was it. So um, they kind of put it out there that they were going to be looking to um, move on to other areas. And now with the, um, uh, AMA meeting that they had, the editorial panel, you know, they have put out um, how that meeting went and and what they're looking for for 2023. And they really are wanting to hit the rest of the ENM section. Well, most of the rest of the ENM section. So, um, you know, a lot more uh, changes and revisions, uh, more deletions of some codes um, and, um, so it's it's going to be bigger than what this change was. I think this change, of course, was big because it was the first one in decades, and it's to the office outpatient ENMs, which on the profi side, you know, for physicians, you know, this everybody does it, you know, so this affected Absolutely. everybody. Um, and and so in 2023 you know, with them hitting the rest of the stuff, 
um, just by sheer number of what's left. You know, now you've got <laughs> for hospitalists that do all the hospital things. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's where they live, you know. And so you'll find by specialty pockets certain areas where it's going to be like, is everything we do, you know? <laughs> so um, I, I think they've got 2021 that this last quarter to make sure that, you know, they're feeling good about the 2021 changes and for 2022 kind of solidifying that in the first quarter, but then starting to look for 2023 um, because I'm hoping those that were unprepared for 2021, some through no fault of their own because of the pandemic, um, and some through just wishful and hopeful, um, crossing <laughs> your fingers that it wasn't going to happen, you know, kind of thing that got kind of caught. Um, it won't yeah. happen for the 2023 stuff that uh, it will give them more than enough time to, to prepare for it. But they, they really are, you know, going to be looking at the inpatient observation mm -hmm. care consults, uh, ED visits, that, mm -hmm. that, that's when I'm really the most, um, not worried, but the most um, um, interested Same in here, yeah. seeing what they're going to do with that. Because I mean, you can't really do ED by time. There's no way or every mm -hmm. visit to be a five, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, when are you going not spend four hours in the ED? <laughs> so so I, I, that, that one is the one that I'm going to be most interested in, I think, right away. Uh, but also nursing facility services, you know, residential, and then prolonged services again. That kind of caught everybody with this whole prolonged service with the AMA and, and CMS not agreeing. Uh, yes. That was a little sticky, you know. That um, was. So, the G-code and the 99417, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting with how that's going to affect the other prolonged service is it the same thing or we're going to have some more g codes you know so um yeah uh, be prepared you know that's absolutely that's, you know, I, it's never too early to start like soon as the um, start now AMA actually puts it out, you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you just just start getting on it um because you don't want to get caught unprepared with this because it's it's in volume so much more absolutely you know i I always have my inklings when I look at things like, why would they change something like this? What are their plans? And I don't know if you're thinking this, but I'm thinking, okay, they're deleting, they're ex potentially deleting the outpatient or the observation discharge code. And mm -hmm. they're accepting deletion of all the observation codes, it looks like. And mm -hmm. then they're revising the uh, admission codes, the two, one, the two, 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 three, and so forth. So like, my thought is as a person who bills for the professional side of hospital charges in office, that it may just be place of service based. So if you're an outpatient department, you're going to bill place of service 22 and you're going to be allowed to bill one of these other codes. It's just going to depend on where you're at. So there's no longer going to be that separation of what your status is in the hospital. It's going to be, you know, uh, what place of service you're in, like instead of being observation status or inpatient status outpatient status, it's going to be dependent on your place of service. So that's kind of my thinking. I don't know. Like what were, what would you, what would you do with a patient who is an observation? Where would you put them on a code? <laughs> if you're yeah, deleting exactly. the observation codes, I'm thinking, okay, well, where, how would we build that service? Well, it would have to be place service-based. 
Yes. Yeah. Because that, that also, you know, catches in that, that catch 22 that people get in today when is it observation or was it inpatient we thought, and then you hit that Medicare regulation and it got switched back. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think maybe that might be too, where they're looking to try to prevent some of that, you Mm -hmm. know, um, a little kind of mess that, that happens sometimes where a physician will say, I build it and I build it as this, but it got rejected because the hospital changed. I said, well, no, the <laughs> hospital really didn't change it. And then you try to explain what a hospital has to do. And, yes. you know, it, it just gets real messy. So if it fixes that issue, that would be very good. Um, yes. But we'll have to see like when the um, the OPPS, you know, the, the outpatient perspective payment system, you know, how, you know, how that classification maybe look to that for some clues um, as to what they may be doing with it. That might, you know, something to be helpful uh, at the beginning of 2022, just to see if there's any, you know, kind of finagling with stuff in there. Yeah, I don't know. Remember the year? I know I was already a coder or biller then, but I remember the whole consult removal thing for Medicare. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was 2010 mm-hmm. or 2011 back in that time. Yeah. And yeah. uh, so I secretly hope that some of these revisions will alleviate that. You know, I don't know. I'm probably just wishful thinking, but it yeah. says revisions to the consultation section, but that's not going to, of course, maybe persuade Medicare. But I'm curious yeah. to see what revisions are taking there. Of course, removing the four one, the five one, which to me, it's yes. like removing the O one. It's mm-hmm. just, yes. it does it really has no level at all, really. There's exactly. no decision making yeah. really going on there. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So um, a lot of changes and uh, I'm glad we had this opportunity to come together and just kind of chit chat and, and talk about these things. And uh, it's going to be exciting, you know, a year and a half to wait and and train for this, but we need to be ready. Right. I mean, we, we, a lot of people were not ready for 2021. And so we, we've seen the effects of that. So, um, you know, I know you're going to be out there offering consulting training and we're always here and we're we're always here to help our providers. Um, So, you know, if our listeners and providers that listen to our podcast are interested in learning more about your company, um, where can we find you? Uh, My website is uh, www.chcs for compliant healthcare solutions dot consulting. I, uh, the dot coms and dot orgs were all taken. So I, I upgraded to what they call a vanity. So I don't know. I have a vanity, uh, website. <laughs> I love it. CHCS.consulting. And that'll give information with phone contact information and email information. Um, My email is bettyhovey at chcs.consulting. So uh, happy to answer any questions that anybody shoots my way on these subjects. Excellent. Excellent. And of course, as I mentioned, we're so excited to have you join us. Of course, join me personally. We're going to team up for the uh, inpatient coding uh, discussion at the virtual summit. And of yes, course, we excited. have you. I'm so excited. And then, of course, we have you one more time during the summit. And I'm super excited to learn more about uh, the, the CDI. So you're going to be talking about from clinical documentation improvement to clinical documentation integrity. Just really brief before we say, say goodbye, let me know, our listeners, know a little bit about that presentation, what they can look forward to in that. Oh, sure. Uh, well, what I wanted to do, um, you know, 
when I talk to people uh, originally when, you know, CDI has been around forever, we've been querying physicians forever. Um, uh, back in the old days, you know, um, I'm an old timer. So, you know, back in those days before we even had EMRs and things like that, we'd be chasing them. Uh, hey, doctor, <laughs> you know, um, you know, write this in your chart. Um, but, but as uh, regulations started to come in, they had to get more formal with things. Uh, it seemed that CDI when it became a more formal thing, got a connotation of it that it was looking for uh, dollars, you know, clinical documentation improvement, you know, meaning I wanted to improve payment and improve. Well, of course, everybody wants to improve payment, but, you know, you want to do it when it's deserved. And there were um, a few cases, and I will discuss one, uh, where the CDI, you know, uh, people kind of, overstepped a little bit. And so it kind of got a little connotation with CDI that it was kind of people that were just out there, you know, looking for stuff to get you more money. Um, so it's uh, the profession, you know, we need to look more for the clinical documentation integrity, the integrity of the document and the service that was done. Because if you tell the story, the payment will follow what that story was absolutely to a deserved point and that's what it's about not not overstepping not understepping of course either um you know but getting what's right and to do that we have to tell the valid story with the valid information so it's just kind of different things looking at uh, at those cases in different ways that with working with physicians with auditing with um you know working with the different pieces of it from the connotation to stepping up to clinical documentation integrity. So uh, I'm kind of excited about it. It's 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 something uh, new for me to to do. So um, I, I'm excited to be uh, you know putting it forward out here for for y'all at the summit. Excellent. Well, I'm so excited. And if everyone is interested, and in, in, of course, I know you're interested in hearing Betty. So please join us at www.ozarksummit2021.com. We'll have that link in our show notes and links to visit Betty's website so you can learn more about her and connect with her. Thank you, Betty, for joining us today. And we look forward to hearing from you at the summit. Yeah, thank you, Jennifer. Um, uh, I look forward to being there. Well, it's always our goal here at the Life as a Coder podcast to inspire and to educate. As I always say, knowledge is power. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. Don't give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with the Life as a Coder podcast. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fass with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.